0: How many of you remember a time in your life where you you said to yourself, I wish I knew that. (laughs) I wish I knew that. There's a song, uh, an older song that says, I wish I knew then what I know now. Right? I wish I knew then what I know now. Knowledge is, as the saying goes, knowledge is power. Right? Oh, it's working. All right, good. Knowledge is power. How, How do we know that? You uh, find yourself in a medical emergency, not knowing what to do. But the EMT comes and they have knowledge on how to help you and to save your life. Knowledge is power. You heard last week from John in the sermon Are You Not Ashamed? I have to do the quotes, right? Not ashamed of what? Of the doctrine of of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the calling of the gospel. And he, and he, he reminded you to, to know these things. The doctrine really matters. In the evening service on Psalm 77, Len uh, encouraged you to reflect, resolve, remember, and rejoice in what? Your knowledge of who God is. Now, I did not know what they were going to be preaching. They didn't know what I was going to be preaching today. And the sermon for today is Joyful Confidence. Joyful Confidence. Our text is found in Philippians 3, 1-3. to I'm going to encourage you to stand with me as we'll read these three verses and you'll see how God has put all this together. This is what God says to us first in prayer. Father, I'll just copy the old Scottish prayer that I hear Alistair Banks say. Lord, make the word alive to us. Make the book live to us. Show us our Savior. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So how does John's sermon, Len's sermon tie together? We're going to talk about knowledge. About knowing. God... Through the prophet Hosea says to the people of Israel, he says this, perhaps you know the verse in Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We know that part. But listen to what the rest of the verse actually says. Because you, the people of Israel, have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Wow. Not knowing has consequences to it. In the verses for today, the late Dr. James Boyce says this in his commentary. He says, Philippians 3, 1-3 suggests that joy is founded to a very large degree on sound doctrine. I'm going to say amen to that. That is absolutely 100% true. You've heard it often here, that Christianity is first and foremost a thinking religion, not an emotional religion. Is there emotion attached to it? Absolutely, we should have joy in the Lord. We're going to talk about joyful confidence. I've been reading a book, and I shouldn't have brought it up with me, uh, that was given to me by Len from one of my quickly becoming my favorite authors, is Ed Welch, called Side by Side. I think it's, I should be required reading for anybody who wants to join a church. Uh, I'm absolutely convinced of that. He writes this in the book, in book Side by Side. He says, Somehow, as we grow in our knowledge and worship of Jesus, He encourages the good and rehabilitates the bad and brings peace to a troubled heart. Okay. Knowledge, particularly knowledge, of the Lord is powerful; It is life changing. Psalm 19.8 says this. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It's not just knowing for the sake of knowing. To pass a test. Knowledge of the Lord must be transformational. Knowledge must be transformational. There must be a change that comes with the acquiring of the knowledge of who God is. Transformational knowledge brings joy... And safety. Listen again to what Paul says. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Finally. He says the word finally.
1: Loipsos.
0: It's not finally like, uh, like the, the young boy sitting next to his father in church... And the pastor kept saying, finally, finally, finally. And the little boy said to his father, dad, what's that word meaning? The father goes, nothing. <laughs> right? Or like in The Prince's Bride. Right? Inconceivable. You keep using that word. I do not think that word means what you think it means. Right? One of the best movies ever made, Prince's Bride, by the way. <laughs> finally, when Paul says, finally, it's not, I'm ending my letter. It's actually a very bad translation. Finally, it means that which remains or beyond that or better translated, so then. So then. So then what? Because of all that we learned before, of all it means to uh, 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 have uh, Christ as an example, to be lights in the world, of Timothy and Epaphroditus, to live for Christ, and all that God is doing, it says, so then, because of those things, I want you to rejoice In the Lord. Rejoice, Cairo, to enjoy a state of happiness and well being, to rejoice and to be glad. But it's not just rejoicing, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. In the Lord. The rejoicing is not separated from in the Lord. Paul, later on in Philippians, says it again in 1st. Chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice. Not saying that I can conjure up happiness. How many of you can just sit there and make yourself happy when you're feeling bad? You can't. But rejoicing in the Lord in a solid foundational truth of who God is and what He has done causes the heart to Rejoice. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, Rejoice always. You know, a lot of people in the church walk around, as, as you know, the old school pastors say, you know, look like the saints have been baptized in lemon juice, right? Um, why? Why are we so down and, and dour and, and everything's bad? We're all susceptible to this if we have a knowledge of who God is, a growing knowledge of who God is, a deep knowledge, plant your truth down deep in us, right? Cause it to bear fruit. Cause the knowledge of who God is and what He's done to cause you to rejoice in the Lord. When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he means the entirety of who God is. The entirety of who God is. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. What God has done before time and how God will end time. And what will happen for those who believe in Christ Jesus after time. All of that. That's a lot to take in. The entirety of who God is and what He has done for you. Therefore, you cannot rejoice in the Lord without Him. Doctrinally sound understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that's Eric Damon, that's not anybody, I'm uh, not quoting anybody. That is just the truth. You cannot rejoice in the Lord without a doctrinally sound understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Can you lift your hands in a song and have the music move you and have an emotional moment with the Lord? Absolutely. But that's happiness. That leaves as soon as you're out of here. Joy that is lasting is what we're talking about. Knowledge brings joy and safety. Knowledge brings joy and safety. Listen to what he says again Philippians 3.1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble for me, and is safe for you. Why is it safe? Well, what's the word safe mean? Rosphalos. A safeguard. Not liable to fall. Not immovable. It's not movable. It's immovable. Why does Paul tie rejoicing in the Lord to safety? Because danger is lurking close by. Because the next word he says is, it is safe for me to write to you. So then he goes, look out. Look out. The word look out is blepo. It means to be aware, to watch out for. Look at what it says in verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's not talking about Three different classes of people in terms of dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. What he is saying is, watch out for the mutilators of the flesh. They are dogs and they are evildoers. What is he talking about? What was, happen- what was, uh, what was happening to the churches surrounding Philippi? In Colossae and Thessalonica and Corinth and all of those churches, what was happening? Well, there was a group called the Judaizers. The Judaizers were coming in and infiltrating the church. They were people who had come into a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, but who said you have to add the law to Jesus. Actually, more poignantly, they said you have to add circumcision to Jesus. You cannot go to heaven unless you are circumcised. You cannot have a right relationship with God outside of the right of circumcision. We all know what that is, so I'm not going to explain it. It's uncomfortable enough to say a word up here. Uh, when was circumcision instituted? It was instituted by God. In, in Genesis chapter 17, God made a promise to Abraham, and the circumcision was a seal of that promise. It was what set Abraham and the rest of the Jews apart from every other nation because they didn't do circumcision. And so these Judaizers are saying you have to because God instituted it, you have to do it. This was a battle that Paul fought wherever he went. Or any of the other apostles, we don't have letters for them per se, but they went out in their they encountered this. This was such a problem that... Um, even within, within the apostles, if you remember in Acts chapter 17, um, the, the, the Gentiles were coming to faith in Christ, gaining a knowledge of who Jesus is and what he's done for them, and, 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 and then the, the Jewish apostles went back and they met together, okay, so what do we do with this? Do we make them become circumcised? Like, is this something we need to add to salvation? And they settled the question that absolutely not. If you remember, Peter stands up and says, why are we going to put on them a burden that we or our ancestors could never bear? So these Judaizers were coming in with false teaching, false understanding, false doctrine, untrue knowledge of salvation. This is what Paul was warning them to be. He says, "Rejoice in the Lord... Do it because it's safe, because there's evildoers, there's dogs, there's mutilators of the flesh. But how does this rejoicing in the Lord help you to look out for the dogs, the evildoers, and the mutilators of the flesh? Well, again, this is such a problem. It was a real problem within the church of Galatia. Listen to what Paul says about people coming in and bringing false teaching False knowledge of Jesus Christ, particularly that of circumcision. In Galatians chapter 6, chapter 1, verses 6 to 9, he says this: I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now listen to this. But even if we, Paul says, if I come back and I change the message I first preached, if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Now the word accursed is anathema. It is the absolute strongest term for condemnation. To be anathema, to be accursed, is to be under the wrath of God without any hope of being released. It is guaranteed placed in darkness, away from the presence of God forever. It's the place of hell. That's what Paul says. If somebody teaches you something different than what I taught you, that's not arrogance. Because remember, where did Paul get his teaching? He received it from the Lord. Yeah. If anybody teaches you anything different, let them be cursed. Knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the person and the work of God, is crucial to rejoicing and to being safe. <laughs> Paul ties this idea of circumcision, of something to salvation to this rejoicing and this watching out. Verse 3 he says for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Wait, hold on. He goes from rejoicing to watch out to we are the circumcision. Watch out for those who tell you to be circumcised. Why? Because we are the circumcision. Wait, but they haven't been circumcised physically. How are they the circumcision? Paul explains what true circumcision is. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 to 29. For no one is a Jew who is one merely, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. Oh, here we go. It's a heart issue. By the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so we see that the joy and the safety is not found in what you do, but in what Christ has done for you. Don't add anything to what Christ has done. Don't add anything to what the Word of God says. Add nothing to it, take nothing away from it. Read it as it is and understand it. Scripture will explain itself. That's why Paul, again, right into the church in Colossae, writes this. For freedom, Christ has set you free and stand firm there and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't add this idea of circumcision to you. Because if you do, he says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage you to speak Galatians 5 2 should be the next slide if it's up there what Paul is saying if you add anything to the knowledge of God of which we preach to you Christ is impotent to you <gasps> no Christ is not impotent Christ is omnipotent but our belief system our knowledge of him or lack of, will cause His power in our life to become impotent. Knowledge is everything. Joyful confidence is found in a sound understanding of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Justin Peters. How many of you have heard of Justin Peters? Justin Peters, I highly encourage you to Google Justin Peters and listen to Justin Peters. And not only that, he is such a sweet, humble man. His story is incredible. But he writes this. Justin Peters says this. The disengaged mind is the enemy of the Christian. It is the friend of the false teacher. The disengaged mind. If you're not putting your mind into your salvation, into your Christianity, You are the enemy of a Christian. And you are the friend of a false teacher. Because the disengaged mind, the unthinking mind, will say, oh, that sounds good. Well, that makes sense. Or that seems to make sense. Well, it might make sense in that one verse, but then you've got to consider the rest of Scripture, which will define for you what that verse actually means. You want to rejoice in the Lord You want to have a peace that passes all understanding? Then, loved ones, we need to understand salvation. That's what Paul is telling the church in Philippi. Make sure you understand this. Make sure you know this, because it's going to cause you to rejoice, and it's going to cause you to be safe. Safe doctrinally. And if you're unsafe doctrinally, bad theology leads you to... Eternal damnation. Bottom line. Wrong understanding of who Jesus is and what He's done leads to eternal damnation. Plain and simple. How do you understand salvation? I was going to tell you, I want you to go on your own and study salvation. Understand the salvation. What a huge topic. Then I thought to myself, no, they're going to go on Google, and they're going to get all kinds of weird stuff about salvation. <laughs> so no, that would, that's a bad idea. So I'm going to give you, and I'm going to be, tell you right now, this may rub some of you the wrong way. When I was first introduced to this, oh gosh, 25, 30 years ago, it rubbed me the wrong way. I walked out of class. I said, there's no way. This is not true. But then on my own, as I studied God's word on my own, I found out this is absolutely true. I'm going to tell you what I'm about to tell you, how salvation works, and why you should study it, and why it is the source of your joy. This is it. If you say, oh, pastor, I I don't agree with that, please don't leave the church. Please don't walk out. Please don't send me a hateful email. Come and talk to me. Come and talk. I'm going to give you an acrostic to help you remember. This is, what, this is what is called the doctrines of grace. The doctrines of grace. And it's the acrostic tulip. Now, I haven't done this in a long time. Because it gets people upset. But it's the truth of scripture. What does TULIP, how is tulip going to help you understand salvation? And develop a knowledge of what Christ has done for you. Well, TULIP begins, as I said, it's an acrostic. The T stands for total depravity. A better definition, actually, is radical depravity. But since, you know, up doesn't, you know, who wants RULIP, right? Um, what it means is this. Is that as human beings, we are absolutely incapable of choosing the things of God. We will not choose them on our own. Jeremiah chapter seventeen says the heart is sick; it's beyond cure. Paul says in Romans, and he says and in Corinthians, and other places that the carnal mind cannot accept the things of God. It is incapable of choosing the things of God. Matter, in fact, we stand at enmity with God. So you and I are totally depraved. Are we as? Why? Why do I prefer radical depravity? Because we're not as bad as we could be, right? I mean, we have to believe that even Hitler said, uh, I love you, Mom, right? We're not as bad as we could be. But sin has so distorted us that we will choose the most evil in our nature. We are totally depraved. And because we're totally depraved, radically depraved, in order to be saved, there has to be unconditional election. Unconditional election. What does that mean? That we God, we come to God with no conditions attached. Christ, Christ fulfills the conditions in and of Himself. We are elected. Without condition. In other words, if you reach this part, if you sanctify yourself, if you become a good enough person, if you make it to this mark, you'll move on to the next section, right? Don was telling about it uh, being in baseball. I, I was there six years ago, right? Uh, if your team doesn't make the cut, you get put out. But if you make the mark, you can move on. Just like in professional sports, just like the Mets are gonna make the series and they're gonna make, right? They're gonna move on. They don't? They don't move on. There's nothing to eat here. It is unconditional because we are so radically depraved and unable to choose the things of God in ourselves that salvation has to come from outside ourselves. Here is the one that rubs the wrong way. But it is absolutely Loved ones, 100% true according to Scripture. Radically depraved, totally depraved, because of that, God unconditionally chooses you, and there is limited atonement. Whoa, what's that mean? Jesus did not die for everybody. Whoa, but it says, for the sins of the whole world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have ever everlasting life. Absolutely true. But let the rest of Scripture define what that means. Jesus said this, Many are called, few are chosen. The death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the efficacy of what Christ has done is good only for those in whom God has unconditionally elected. That's the truth of Scripture. Should cause us to rejoice that God saves anybody. Because we were all under the wrath of God. Fourth is irresistible grace. Irresistible grace. The call goes out to the entire world. And I am telling you, we as believers should witness to everybody even though God has chosen His own. Because I don't know who God has chosen. You don't know who God has chosen. Therefore, share the gospel broadly. Share it with everybody because of the truth of irresistible grace. That when the word of God comes into somebody's heart and their mind, God opens hearts and minds. God did it, you read it in Acts, to a lady in Philippi, a lady named Lydia. It says that when she heard the message of Paul, God opened her heart to believe. And when the gospel goes out and God's elect hear the word of God, they will come because they have no choice but to come. They will respond to the call and come to God. Now, they're coming not as robots because God says, you're going to come. They come of their own free will at the call of God. How does An irresistible call on free will work, you know what? Leave that up to God, please. Let's leave it up to God. That's a work that only God can do. And because God chooses His own people, and He calls them, and He atones for them, and He calls them in such a way that they cannot say no, and yet it's of their own free will, then God promises that there would be a preservation of the saints. The preservation of the saints that God will preserve His elect to the very end. God will not what? He who began a good work in you will what? Will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the framework in which you should understand your salvation. And listen, if you're sitting here going, this is radical, I've never heard this, or I've heard it and I don't like it, and now I'm leaving the church, I hope that's not true. I would ask you, I would beg you, study it. Find out. Sit down with us. Let's go through the scriptures. Let's see. And If we grasp an understanding of what Christ has done for us, what God in Christ has done for us, I'm telling you, it will bring you joy. And you will, as Isaiah says to the children of Israel, in Isaiah 12, 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You understand what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. It causes you to rejoice and it keeps you safe from false teaching. It will also, when we understand the greatness of God and what He's done for us in saving us. When He didn't have to save us. But He did it. And that will also carry you into joy when suffering comes. If you don't have an understanding of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus and how much He loves you and how closely He is holding you, that no matter what happens in this world, no one, no thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That he's placed you in his hand, as he says, and no one is going to take you out. You think Satan's able to go and pull you out of Christ's hand? Absolutely not going to happen. You think you are able to so sin and be so bad that you're going to take yourself out of God's hand? No. If you were if you find yourself on the day of judgment on the other side of Christ, on the side of judgment, guess what? You were never a Christian to start with. Jesus says that they have a knowledge of me, but their heart was what? Far from me. Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I will say to them, depart. I have no idea who you are. It is only a knowledge of what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. That will cause you to rejoice in the Lord. Not what you've done. Not what you can do. Because you can't do anything and I can't do anything. All we do is by the grace of God. We rejoice in the Lord. It keeps us safe from false teaching. As we study and understand and grow in our knowledge of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. It keeps us safe. And it's the source of our joy even in the midst of suffering. Remember what Paul said to the church earlier in Philippians 1.29. For it has been granted to you. Remember that was actually, it has been graciously granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him. By the way, what do you see right there? The doctrine of election. It's been granted to you to believe in Christ. They should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The suffering might not come in being thrown in prison for the gospel, being beaten for the gospel, rejected for the gospel. Those are a form of suffering. But suffering happens in this world. Cancer,
1: loss of a loved
0: one, loss of a job, financial, all those things are real suffering. You know, uh, we, we have a, a multitude of, uh, of issues in our life. That we may deal with. But we can handle that. And we can rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of the hardships of life. I would encourage you to go. Uh, I believe it's Crossway. it's done an interview with Johnny Erickson Todd. Where she talks about this very thing. And there's a lady who understands suffering. It's Johnny Erickson Todd. And how the grace of God and the knowledge of who God is sustains her day by day. It was this knowledge of God and what he's done for, for him in Christ Jesus that sustained Paul in the midst of, of what he would say was one of his greatest sufferings. Because he says, I pleaded with the Lord. Three, I pleaded and I pleaded and I pleaded with God. Please take this away from me. And God says this in Second Second Corinthians 12.9. But he said to me, my Grace. What's grace? Salvation and the sustaining power of it till I bring you to heaven. That grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, you know what I'll do? Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, when we understand salvation, it's not just a one-time act. It's it's our whole life. Our life here on earth and our life in heaven. Understand salvation. Understand what Christ has done for you. Paul says, because I have this knowledge, earlier in 2 Corinthians, he says this, so that we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Why? Why? For this light, momentary affliction, easy for you to say, Paul, is preparing us for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Paul says, when you understand salvation, when you understand what God has done for you in Christ Jesus, and God has told us, He told us the end game. We know what awaits us. And we have just a glimpse of it. We see through dark uh, glasses as darkly, Paul says. We have a glimpse. And that glimpse is enough. And he says, what's happening here is nothing compared to the weight of glory. Of what we'll see when we stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. And you hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into what? The joy of your master. And the joy of your master is not that Jesus is standing at the pearly gates and going, enter into the joy of your master, and porting you to a place that is beyond all places. He's saying, enter into the joy of me. I am your joy. I am your shield. I am your great reward. Enter into that. Don't you want to know? all that you can know about him and what he's done. Oh my gosh, why would you not? He says it's preparing us. As we look to the things that are seen, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are unseen are transient. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So this knowledge that is to be ours is not grounded in this world. Grounded in who Christ Jesus is and what he's done in the heavenly realms. No wonder he says, Set your mind where? In the heavenly realms where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. No wonder the writer of Hebrews says that he rewards those who diligently seek after him. I'm going to put up for you a, a link. I don't know how else to do it. Um, take a picture of it. It'll be in the notes. We'll send it to you this week when Carol gets back from vacation. But on the way home from Maine, I was listening to the Christian radio and um, preaching and Michael Youssef, I really like Michael Youssef. I don't know if you listen to Michael Youssef leading the way. But he preached about the the luxuriant vine of Hosea. And I would encourage you to listen to this message. Here's the link to it. We'll send it out to you. If we have your email, take a picture of this now, whatever. Um, it's the hope and forgiveness in times of judgment, part five. The man, he brings all that I'm saying right into focus. It is the most passionate I've ever heard Michael Youssef preach. It, it was just absolutely fantastic. I would encourage you to listen to it. I would encourage you to study salvation. Don't be satisfied with, I'm just I'm saved and I'm going to heaven and I'm trying to live a good life. I'm trying to be a good boy or girl. Press on into the Lord. Press on. It will be the source of your joy, the source of your peace. Everything that you need. And, and, and all of that salvation, it, 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 it encompasses everything. It encompasses not only your salvation in Christ, but your purpose in the church. You understand that the salvation, that God's salvation for you is also your purpose within the church. That you have a place here. To be on the outside. To be on the fringe. To say, I'm just going to come on a Sunday. I'm going to come and I'm going to go. I'm going to come and go. And when I feel like I'm going to show up. You are neglecting a great salvation. Part of it. Not that you are saved from the church. But He has brought you into the church because He saved you. And this is His house. You know who's the guest today? We are. We're the guests today. And he led us into his house. And he says, I want to show you great and mighty things you do not yet know. I want to teach you. Show us Christ through the preaching of your word. Please, don't come here for me. I'm sure you don't. I hope you don't. Come here because Christ is here. Because Christ makes himself no, He says, I love you with an everlasting love. I drew you with cords of love. I saved you. And I want you to know me. So that you would have joy and that you would be saved. As Hosea says in Hosea 6:3, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Why? Because his going out is sure as the dawn, he will come to us as the showers. As the spring rains that water the earth. Let us press on to know the Lord. Communion is in front of us. We are celebrating the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. There should be great joy and freedom in this. Let's pray.